It's good to see you here this morning. If you would like to borrow a Bible, you can raise your hand. The ushers will bring you a Bible, only if you want to borrow one this morning. Um, Put it in the pew when you're done. We'll pick them up for you. Just raise your hand high and the ushers will bring you one. These next couple weeks are, are interesting for us as a church. We've have not really officially entered summer yet, but we kind of have. Our undergrad students took off, and that's they're gone for the summer. Um, we had a baby dedication this morning. So glad to see many of the families here and the parents here and the grandparents here. And the next week will be Father's Day, and then two weeks from today we'll we'll get we'll get going on some of our st- summer stuff studies uh, through First John, as we'll be going in two weeks from today. But as we're here this morning from a variety of religious backgrounds, some of you maybe are very religious in your background. Some of you may not be religious at all. I grew up in a church where, just to be honest with you, they told nice Bible stories where they wanted you to be a nice person. That's, that, that's the kind of church I grew up in. And by the time I was in high school, those nice Bible stories were pretty boring, so we started watching The Simpsons for our religious education. No joke. That was our time at our youth group. We would watch The Simpsons. And uh, something about The Simpsons that's very interesting is I've I've kind of forgotten about them uh, over the years, uh, but occasionally they come back up to my mind. Uh, I was in California working hard on my sabbatical at Universal Studios with my two oldest children, and we rode The Simpsons Ride. It was great. And, and occasionally, when I'm telling someone a, about Jesus, uh, this, this has happened probably two or three times, I'm talking to someone about Jesus, and someone overhears the conversation and, and comes up to me and says, I believe in Jebus. I'm like, what are you talking about? You believe in Jeebus? Who's Jeebus? I'm like, Jeebus! Have you ever seen The Simpsons? Homer believes in Jeebus. And like, what are you talking And so I looked it up, and apparently, on um, this episode uh, of the, the Simpsons, Homer, the, who's the main character, if you don't watch The Simpsons, don't start, but he's the main character. He apparently gets sent out as a missionary to the South Pacific. And he's, he's on the plane, he's anxious being on the plane, and he's like, you're going to be a missionary, you're going to go tell him about Jesus. He's like, Jeebus? Jeebus? I don't know Jeebus. Help me, Jeebus. And so he takes off to the South Pacific, and, and he gets to the South Pacific, and somehow the islanders think he is this great spiritual guru. And they're like, they want to follow all his advice. But the problem is, he doesn't know anything about religion. And so he just goes with what he knows. He builds a casino. He, he, he introduces gambling and alcohol, and along with that comes violence. And then after a while, he has totally ruined the, the island's inhabitants. Now, I, I don't know what the writers of the show are trying to communicate <laughs> with that show, but I think the concept is, is interesting to think about. What are we all about as Christians? And if we actually impacted our city, would it be a good thing or a bad thing? What are we all about? What are we trying to do? 
That's pretty much what we've been doing for our church this past year. We've been stopping, pausing. We've been around for 20 years. But we didn't just want to keep going through the motions, keep doing the same thing year after year. We kind of want to stop and we want to say, are we really doing what God wants us to do? What is it that he wants us to do? And so what happened over this past year, rather than pull it, pushing ahead with, with, uh, just with, without thinking, we stopped, didn't start anything new, and we got about 30 of us together, and we, we studied, we prayed, we immersed ourselves in the mission of God. We spent countless hours saying, God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? How, how do you want us to live? And what I'm going to do this morning is present some of that to you. I'm going to talk to you about what has happened in our year-long pullback. And I know a lot of you are visitors, so this should be kind of fun, where you get to look in at a bunch of Christ followers who are trying to navigate through life, figuring out what God wants us to do. So just, just listen to what we're saying today, and maybe you'll want to come along and follow Christ with us. And for those of you who have been coming here for years... Let this be an encouragement to get us all going in the same direction as followers of Jesus Christ. And so let me just begin by explaining, by, by saying who we are as followers of Jesus. Who we are as followers of Jesus. This is what we're going to talk about today. Who we are as followers of Jesus. And I'm going to be going to a lot of passages in the Bible. Usually when we preach in this church, we, we stick with one passage. But today, you're going to feel like a Baptist. So if you're a Baptist, you're going to love today. We're going to be all over the place, flipping around. I know you love that. Okay, that's what we're going to do. But our first scripture today, I'll put it up on the screen for you, okay? This comes from 1 Corinthians. Let me put this up. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. Let me read this to you to explain who we are as followers of Jesus. For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. First and foremost, we are a community of people who are centered on Jesus Christ. This means that we believe that he was an actual historical figure... We believe that he was the son of God. We believe that he lived a sinless life, was put on the cross in the place of sinners. And on the cross, not only did he feel physical pain, but he was bearing the wrath of God in the place of sinners. He died historically, buried historically, and we believe three days later, he actually rose again, proving they had power over death, power over sin, and power over Satan. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, everything he said while he's alive, nope, doesn't matter. Just like anybody else. But he was the son of God. Risen in victory. And we believe that anybody in this entire earth can acknowledge that they are a sinner. They can repent of their sins, put their faith in Jesus Christ alone, and, and God will forgive them adopt them into his family, and they will have eternal life forever with him. We are followers of Jesus. I became a follower when I was 19. 
I repented of my sins, and I had a lot of them. I repented of my life of immorality, my life foul mouth, my rebellion against God, idols set up besides God. I repented of that, put my faith in Jesus Christ, and that's my story. If we went around the room, each of you who are followers of Jesus would have a story. And what's interesting is that in this church, we have people that come from all around the world to go to school at Northwestern or to get a job here, or they're just passing through from all around the world. And if they are followers of Jesus, there is this instant connection. It's like, oh, you're my brother. You're from China. You're my sister. You're from Africa. You're my brother. I mean, no matter where we're from, there's this instant connection because we are followers of the same Lord Jesus Christ. But what has happened is that as God has brought us all here and has put us each in this church for a certain period of time in the Chicagoland area, we have to believe, we have to believe that God wants us to do something. Don't you think? He's got to want us to do something. He didn't bring us together on accident. He, he brought us together, and I think he wants us to do something while we're here to make an impact upon our culture. So what I'm saying is that even though we're all believers, we've got to get on the same page. We have to be moving in this unified mission. And so what you'll do, for those of you who are from other churches from around the world, usually when churches try to get you on a unified mission, they will have something called a mission statement or a vision statement. Maybe you're familiar with those. Well, in, in our church, we, we're not going to talk about mission statements or vision statements. We prefer to talk in the language of ethos. And for those of you who are not familiar even with the what ethos even means. Let, let me give you a formal definition of ethos. Let me put it up on the screen for you. Ethos is the fundamental character or disposition of a culture that drives its motives, beliefs, and practices. When we're speaking of ethos, we're talking about what drives us at a heart level? What's the, the blood that pumps through our spiritual veins? What is the air that we, br- we breathe as a church? And as we are gathered as people from all around the world in this unique setting in our Chicagoland area, we have come up with what we're calling ethos statements. And we, and we have five of them. There, there could have been many ethos statements, but we like to describe ourselves in these five ethos statements that I've shared with you a little bit in the past. They've been tweaked a bit over this past year. But this is who we are and who we want to be. The, the statements are positional and aspirational. It's who we are positionally and who we want to be, what we're striving to be. Now, as I'm going through these, and I said this about a year ago when I talked about some of these, I would love for you, you art people, creative people, graphic design people, to give us some type of graphic. Maybe for each, each ethos statement I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you. Like, I don't care if you doodle. I don't care if you create an app. Do something that goes along with these ethos statements that we can even express them visually because right now they are words. Very good words, but words alone. We'd like to have a picture. So feel free to, to doodle away. So let's jump right in with these memorable summaries of who we are as a church. 
The first one is our anchor. Our anchor is humble orthodoxy. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Anchor is humble orthodoxy. Ephesians 4, we're going to start in verse 11. And like I said, we're going to be flying through the Bible today, so there's no time to jump in for details in these passages. We'll come back and address the details in the future. Starting in verse 11, let me read this to you. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As followers of Jesus, we want to be grounded in solid doctrine or sound orthodoxy. When we're speaking about orthodoxy, you can see it described in the Bible in verse 13. If you look at verse 13, it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. If we're not having this unity of faith, speaking of a sound doctrine passed on from generations from the Word of God, if we're not grounded in orthodoxy, what can happen to us is what is described in verse 14. Verse 14 speaks about children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What we are all about at this church is the Word of God. The Old Testament and the New Testament. We believe it. And if we're not grounded in it, and if we're not careful, we can shipwreck our faith. Someone can come along and say, come on. I know that Jesus says in the Bible that he's the only way to the Father. But come on. How can that be possible? What about the millions of other religions, people in the other religions. Are you, are you saying they're, they're going to hell? Someone will come along and say, oh, come on. Sex is reserved for marriage between a husband and wife? That just cuts out all the fun and all the freedom we should be having. Oh, come on. And if we're not anchored in the word of God, we will shipwreck our faith. And if you don't think that it's possible to shipwreck your faith, we've seen it happen in this church time and time again. Where the winds of doctrine, false doctrine blow, and if we're not anchored in the word of God, we will shipwreck our faith. But as we hold to the word of God, as we hold to this orthodoxy, guess what? We don't want to be arrogant about it. We want to be humble. And when we're humble, we come to the word on a daily basis and we say, God, I don't know everything. I don't even know much. Shape me, 
mold me, form me. I'm ready to be conformed more to your image. And we're humble as we approach the word of God. But we're also humble as we approach others. Do you see what it says in there? It says in verse 15 that when we want to speak the truth to others, we want to be speaking the truth in love. So we want others to know Jesus, we want others to grow in Jesus, and this will require truth-telling, but it has to be truth-telling that is done in love. And I think our example is, is Jesus Christ. Do you remember there is a scene in his life where he is weeping over Jerusalem? He's crying. They did not receive his, his message on a whole. They're about to kill him. The future is going to be destruction for them, and he is weeping. That is a good image. As we move toward others who are not accepting the message of the gospel, we don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be proud. We don't have to go on radio shows and scream at them. We can be humble, maybe with tears. And even as we address people in our church who are in sin, we can be humble, not proud, maybe with tears. We have a guy right now who's in St. Paul, Minnesota. We, we sent him out. His name's Brian. We sent him out to plant a church there. We're planting a church there. And as Brian is, uh, is gathering people from the area, he, he's not just trying to steal people from other churches. He's actually gathering people who don't know Jesus, and he's telling about Jesus. And he's created this study of about 20 people where, where they study, and, and I think most of them are, are not believers. And one of his study was on God's view of sexuality. And in this study was a particular woman who was living a lifestyle that totally contradicted what Brian was saying. And in this group, while he's teaching this, she said to him, you are my enemy. You are against everything I stand for. And she was really mad, really in his face. And Brian said, you are my friend. You are not my enemy. And that is the posture we should have. We want to be humble. We want to present the orthodoxy with humility and move toward others in love, not with anger, not trying to win the argument, but give them the truth with humility. Humble orthodoxy, anchor. Well, the next one put up on the screen is catalyst, abiding worship. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. That would be backwards. Romans 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read this to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For the 20 years of our history of our church, we have, we've gathered on Sunday morning and we sing praises to God. We worship him in spirit and in truth, lifting our voices, and we want to continue that. We want to continue a history of praising him and worshiping him with joy for what he's done for us. But singing on a Sunday morning is not the totality of our worship, Right? When you see about worship talked about in the Bible, it's talking about all of life worship. It's talking about total worship. It's described here in this passage as presenting your body as a living sacrifice. 
they call it here, the, Paul calls it the spiritual worship. To worship God with all of your life, you're basically coming before him and saying, here I am, all of me, all of you, do whatever you want from me. Do whatever you want to do with me. I totally will submit to you, love you, obey you, worship you. Whatever you want, I'll do it. That's what all of life worship looks like. And what he is talking about here is coming to the Lord and laying your life down. Other places in the Bible talk about abiding in Jesus, handing our lives over to him, trusting him, walking in his ways, bearing fruit, fruit that will last. And this, is, this is the catalyst. The catalyst that creates movement within the kingdom of God is abiding worship. Now, one of the encouraging things about our church is, is as I sit down with you, most of you want to be change agents. Once, most of you want to be ignited to change the world. Most of you are not going through the motions here. Very few of you are going through the motions. Most of you really want to make an impact on this world. And you come up with crazy ideas, creative ideas to impact others for Jesus. And I'm very encouraged by that. But if you're not careful, you'll go at it on your own. Because you're smart, you're creative, and you think, "I I can change this world. And if you go at it on your own, you will crash. And I want to make sure you hear this. You cannot do it apart from God. If we are not careful, our competence will lead to prayerlessness. And our prayerlessness will further our self-sufficiency. And before long, our self-sufficiency will lead to our downfall. And we do not want to be of those who crash. We want to be of those whose fruit actually lasts. And we want to spend time with Jesus. We want to be filled with the Spirit. It actually means that praying, spending time alone with Him, being still with Him, coming before Him and getting in His Word, being filled with the Spirit. I'm telling you, I understand how competent you are. I see your impressive degrees. But apart from Him, you can do nothing That is why we must abide in him, staying him, if we want fruit that will last. Abiding worship. Let's go to the next one. Texture. Missional community. Let's look at the book of Acts. Keep turning backwards. Acts chapter 2. Texture. Missional community. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I love the description of the early church here. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temples together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. When you think of texture, think of a structure of a, of a fabric that emerges as the strands are interwoven. 
And God has brought us here together from all around the world, and he has woven us together into his community. And what do we do? What, what do you do as a church? Well, we want to pray together. We want to remember the Lord's death together. We want to, we want to sing together. We want to serve together. Like the book of Acts, we want to share our belongings. And, and you've got to wonder, do you guys really share your stuff? Does this church really share stuff? Yeah, we, we, we actually do. We do. Like, for real. If someone has a need, like, the church really steps up. It's, it's amazing. But we don't want to get up front and just talk about it all the time, embarrass people and stuff. It really happens. It really happens. It's awesome. And it's a church that also plays together. On, on Friday night, we had 30 guys trying to, some of us old guys were pretending like we were athletes again. We were like, we were, we were going through the NFL combine together. We were doing dodgeball together. We're a church that plays together. We, we, we want to kind of live life together. But if we're not careful, we'll say, I really like this. This is really fun. Let's just hang out with each other. That's why it can't be a community that terminates on itself. It has to be a community that's missional that moves out. Did you see what that last verse said in the passage? Do you see what it said? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So texture is not just the interwoven lives of the church, but it's also the expression of the character of the church into a world that needs restoration because the world is broken. And if you are a believer... And did you know every believer is a missionary? You're sent out on mission at your workplace, on mission at your school, on mission in your neighborhood, and you love people, and you speak the truth of restoration in Jesus. You interject the truth of God's view of things of this world. We're sent out on mission. It's a community that spreads from here. It's not about, hey, let's get them all to come in here and just stay in here. No, we want to go. We want to go and love people in our community. We're missionaries. The next one, dynamic, invested sojourners. Let's turn way back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29. Isn't it fun finding out where all these books are at? Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. This is, this is great. 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Did you get the idea of a sojourner? The sojourner is a person who's just passing through. Their permanent home is elsewhere. And in this passage here, the Israelites were away from their homeland and they were in the foreign land of Babylon. And I would say a significant amount of our church are passing through the Chicagoland area until they move on to a more permanent home elsewhere. But if you really want to think biblically, and if you really believe the Bible, 
you're not even you're not citizenship citizens of this earth your citizenship is in heaven and so you're just passing through this earth on the way to heaven so in a sense we all are sojourners and while we are here we want to be invested sojourners while the um, the Israelites were in Babylon they were to be invested sojourners in in that city they were to seek that city's peace that city's welfare they were to pray for that city and what we're doing is we pass through here. As many of you are passing through here, more, some of you are more stable here. We want to be invested sojourners who do what? Invest in other sojourners. So I want you to invest in me and me to invest in you. And so when you leave here and you go all around the world, you will take what you learned here and apply it to wherever you're at. So that's why we're here. We need to grab each other and invest in each other's lives. I really want you to see that your time here is crucial. Do you really think there are any throwaway periods of your life? I know there's some periods you'd like to throw away, but the issue is, are there any throwaway periods in your life? Like you can say, you know what, for the next year and a half, I'm not going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to love people. I'm just going to read my Bible. Is there really a time like that? And some of you say, yeah, but I'm only here for one year. You don't even know that. You may be here for six. You don't know. So wherever you're at, you want to jump in, invest in someone else, love someone else, grow in the Lord, and be an invested soldier. Well, the last one is proclamation, pervasive gospel. Let's look at the last passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 14 through 17. So our last one is proclamation, pervasive gospel. I'm going to go ahead and read 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, and the sight of God, we speak in Christ. I mean, check it out. Come on. Jesus is our leader. And we've been commissioned by God with a message. It's not our message. We're not, we're not salesmen. We're not trying to peddle our goods. We believe for real. This is the message from God. We need to tell ourselves first. We need to tell each other the gospel. We need to speak the gospel to the world. And some will say that is awesome. And it will be aroma as life to life. This is great. This grace message of salvation through Jesus alone. But we'll proclaim it to others. And it will be aroma from death to death as they will reject it and spit in our face and say, no way, I do not want that. But no matter what happens, we must be a community that is permeated with the gospel of Jesus Christ and sets out to tell each other and to proclaim it to the world. So we take these, these five ethos statements. This is what has come after our year of praying and pausing and, and, and intense study and discussion. And now we're ready to go forward. And a lot of you may be asking the question, okay, what are we actually going to do? We had our annual meeting last Saturday. I explained some of it there. I'm going to reiterate it again here. 
you're, you're saying, okay, what are we actually going to do? And so rather than coming up with this huge grand plan for us all to march in this, this one direction, what we're basically going to do is we're going to take the whole conversation that we had started this past year and we're going to keep the conversation going with the rest of the congregation. That's basically what we're going to do. The conversation that started this past year, we are going to keep it going. And we want to think about a, a venue to keep the conversation going. Sunday morning's a great time, but it's probably not the best venue to keep this uh, conversation going because we want to interact with one another. We want to discuss things with one another. And so we, we were thinking about what would be a great venue to keep the conversation going over this next year within our church as we talk about and live out our ethos. So, so think with me. This is kind of fun because we have, we have a lot of different Christians here from different churches right now. A lot of you are visiting, so you can, uh, maybe you can think about your church also. So we're trying to think about what would be a good venue for our church. And many of you are familiar with the venue of small groups, right? You're, you go to these small groups and you hang together, you study the Bible together. And, and I think one of the best things about small groups is relationships. If you're in a small group, you probably like the relationships you have in your small group. And it, it's just a fun time. You kind of get to know people, they get to know you. And so you like the relationships. And we, we were thinking, yeah, we like the relationships too. But... We want a little bit more. Now, I know some of you are from churches that are, 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 are part of a house church movement. Maybe you've come out of a house church movement. Maybe you've been in a house church before. One of the things that you learn about house churches, if you study the Bible and if you actually visit some of them and you think about some of the underground house churches, is they have intense prayer. House churches are typically really full of prayer. And as we studied some house churches this past year, we thought to ourselves, that looks good. We want that. We want that intense prayer. But we want a little bit more. And so as we studied around, looked at different churches from all around the world, we came across some churches who are doing something called uh, gospel communities. I don't know if you're familiar with this. These are kind of groups of gospel communities. And what they're focusing on is, is sharing Jesus with their neighbors and friends telling them the gospel and they're also doing acts of compassion and ministries of mercy to their neighbors in their city they're actually trying to help where things are broken and so we thought to ourselves oh we like that we like that we want we're all for sharing Jesus we're all for evangelism we're all for mercy ministry we're like yeah and so we're thinking about these these three things and we go man we want the relationships of the small groups we like that we thought, but we want intense prayer. Wouldn't it be a shame to come to the end of our lives and say, well, we really didn't pray much. That was, that's ridiculous. So we want the intense prayer. But we also want to share Jesus, right? We want to tell others about Jesus. And we see people who need, have needs. We want to meet those needs. So we want to do that too. And so we think, okay, which one should we pick? We didn't pick any of them. We're like, why do we got to pick one? And so we've created our own. So what we're going to do is we're going to create something in our church called Ethos Communities. Let's just put them all together. Ethos Communities. Let me give you a definition. For you definition people, here you go. Ethos Communities are groups of 15 to 30 believers who regularly meet together to uniquely express their faith with an emphasis on fellowship, prayer, biblically-based content, while encouraging one another to be on mission, individually and corporately. I'll just leave that up for you. 
And you, you notice there it's 15 to 30 people, you know. 30 people probably won't fit in your condo. Maybe 15. Some of the homes are bigger. They can hold up to 30. Maybe you'll have to meet in a cafe. On the low end, 15. On the high end, 30. But what we're going to do is we're going to get together for fellowship because we are, after all, known as Evanston Bible Huh, fellowship, yeah. We want to get together. We want to have these deep relationships. We want to be in each other's lives. I want you in my life. I want to be in your life. And so we want this deep relationship. But we also want to prayer. We want to prayer. That doesn't make sense. We want to pray. Now, I've got to be honest about our church. Let's just be honest. We have a history of stinking in this. We have a few fellow prayer warriors who step up, and in a sense, I would say carry our church through their prayers. But wouldn't it be awesome if we got all kind of got in on that and we all prayed? And so we want to kind of incorporate this intense prayer to be part of these ethos communities. But at the same time, we want to have biblically-based content. Uh, for the past year in our small groups, we followed the sermons. Well, we're going we're gonna to scrap that. We're going to try to introduce some of the material that we, we covered this past year and get into the Word and so that we can all be, be going in the same direction. But the last thing is, is, is very, very important. We want to encourage people to be on mission. People really will not come to know Jesus unless you tell them the gospel. And we want to get together in these ethos communities and encourage one another to share the gospel with our neighbors. To tell them about Jesus. We are, after all, this word, I don't know if you like it or not, but it's, we're evangelical. We believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And if we believe it, we'll speak it like we believe it, with love and compassion, and encourage one another to do that. But at the same time, we want to also meet people's needs. We want to be compassionate, show mercy, show love. And this past year, we debated, we said, should our church just choose one thing that we get behind? Should we just get behind caring for seniors or caring for the homeless or caring for orphans? Should we just get behind one mission and all of us go for it? And then we thought, no. So many of you have so many different passions. So we don't want to pick one thing. We want to have a multiple of things. And we want the, the groups themselves to pick something and lead out and actually attempt to do something together and serving their community. And so it will start up in the fall. It will take the place of our small groups. And if you really think about it, if you're a believer in Jesus, there is nothing that you can contend with with any of these because that's what you really want, right? You really want close relationships. You do. I know sometimes you just like to stay at home and just watch TV and be by yourself. But when it's all said and done, it's healthy for you to be around other believers. And you really want to pray, even though we're not very good at it. You know you want to pray. You know it's in the Bible. You know things happen when we call upon the Lord and he works in miraculous ways. And you want that, right? You're always like, well, how come my life is not like I see in the New Testament? Well, are you praying like they prayed in the New Testament? We want to pray. And you want to grow in God's word. And you want to learn how to share your faith more. And you definitely want to feel like you're, you're making an impact by helping people who are in need. This is what you want. And so what we're going to do, we're going to get together. We're going to seek the face of God and move out on a unified mission for his glory. Let's pray.
Lord, you've brought us together here at this time in history. And may we not miss our opportunity. This is our chance. This is our chance to impact these generations. This is our chance to impact the world. And Lord, we want to go all out, be all in for you and allow you to empower us. We want to seek you. We want to fall in love with you. We want to love our neighbors. We want to love our brothers and sisters. We want to share and proclaim the gospel. We want to be people who are used by you, who bring the most and absolute glory to you. Lord, we are available to you. We are open to you. And may you shape us, mold us, and press us in closer to you as we abide in you and bear fruit. Live a life of holiness. Lord, fill us with your spirit now. Apart from you, we can do nothing. All to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.